David Locke's weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. The radio voice of the jazz joins us now. David, good morning. Hello, David James. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good, Patrick Kinahan, my guy. Knuckles, baby. Knuckles, how are you? Oh, I'm living life, man. Just excited for Christmas. Excited for the NBA radio season to start. I like it. Vaccines. Got a friend in Utah. Got a vaccine yesterday. Things are looking up. They work in the medical industry, I assume? They do. Yep. Okay. All right, let's get right to something that you have been screaming about for years. And now the Jazz, and and they spent the last couple years getting here. Three-pointers, baby. Three is more than two. Get open shots. Get guys who can make them. And it's going to pay off. It's math. It's clear. The Jazz now look like they have more three-point shooters than they've ever had. And, of course, I don't mean three-point takers. I mean three-point makers, the legendary Jerry Sloan line. And the only guys who I don't trust to make the three are Gobert and Favors. So if they're on the floor together, then it's the old days. But the new days now, even from the start of last season, there are more three-point shooters. Are, they're gonna ma- they shot 38% last year. They're going to make threes. Do you think they're going to make the threes when there's the most pressure? Do you think they can make threes in a game when it's a big game and it's going poorly, then in the middle of the game they're so talented, so confident, they can turn it around and make it happen? Because it seems like that's a stumbling block. Just in an average second quarter of a game, they're going to make three-pointers. But what about the, the biggest moments? What do you think? So, I mean, that's the Rockets question, right? Looking back at Daryl Morey, and Mike D'Antoni and the Rockets, they have that incredible, what is it, 23 straight misses or whatever it was against the Warriors. That's the only reason we, everyone in the league didn't do this. You know, had they hit two of those in that stretch, probably, then they win that series, they go on to the finals, and then the whole league is doing what the Jazz are doing right now. Um, so, yeah, that, you know, obviously you're, you're increasing some level of variance. Um, Quinn has said it very well. We want threes, but not at the expense of the rim. So I think we only took like nine free throws last night, which isn't great. But the fact is, if an NBA team decides you're not shooting at the rim, they can prov- they can do it. Like, you're not getting shots at the rim. Basically, Milwaukee did that last year. They allowed 28% of opposing shots at the rim. That's That's a crazy low number if you just kind of go through the way the game works. They just committed to not letting you get to the rim. And there's a bunch of teams that did that. And the Clippers, who last year were 25th in the league at denying shots at the rim, that's clearly the defensive flaw that they're trying to fix. Because they put Zubak and they put uh, Kevin Gelly at the rim all night. And you couldn't get to the rim. In the second quarter, when the Jazz ran away from the game, I think they took nine of ten shots as threes at one point. They weren't getting to the rim. Like, they did in the open court. Donovan got there on a fast break and got fouled, and, and Rudy, I think, got got something in an early offense and got fouled. And that's the only way you're getting the rim is if you get out in front of the defense. But once it was set in the half court with the Clippers' length and their big men, you had no choice but to do exactly what the Jazz did. And that's going to be a regular occurrence. Teams, you know, the math is equally the same. The math says if you deny a shot at the rim and the rim shot is 1.4 points per shot and – the best they can get is a three that's a 1.15 or 1.2, then that's a huge defensive advantage. So that's what we're seeing happen on a nightly basis right now in the NBA. What is the point for the quick shot in the early shot clock? What's going on there? 
I think the feeling is that we're such good shooters that if you get an early open look, it's actually probably the best look you're going to get. And the data shows that to be true. Um, that, you know, shot, shot percentage early in the shot clock is usually better. Now, we're, we've been the antithesis of that data. Quinn's offense and the picks and the execution and how well we run things have actually led us to be one of the only teams in the league that in the middle of the shot clock, we've been as good as we are in the early shot clock. So we have to be a little careful there. If you notice, like, Quinn talked about we're not going to play fast for the sake of playing fast. We're going to push it ahead up the sidelines particularly. Um, the side, if you, and, and they're really systematic about it this year, and I think that's where the, mass, the improvement's going to be. You're coming up the sideline. It allows Rudy or Derek to run the middle. It allows a skip pass to the other side, to the other wing that's running, and you move the pass forward up the sideline with some alacrity, and you're ahead of the defense. And that should give you some really good looks. And then Joe Ingles or whoever the last man down is, is suddenly dropping into a trailing three that's a heck of a good shot, too. That, that's a really nice play. Honestly, for 100 bucks, I couldn't have told you what alacrity meant. I've heard the word, and I kind of know when you use it in a sentence, brisk and cheerful readiness. She accepted the invitation with alacrity. That's like PK asking people to the prom back in the day. Um, They asked me. (laughs) They asked you. Nice, PK. All right, so uh, should we be that fired up about the Jazz offense? Is it all of that? Does it look – is there anything that makes you say, well, watch for this? No, actually, but there's plenty of fools been made in the preseason. So I think you better temper some of the enthusiasm just because it's the preseason and, you know, you know, that teams aren't preparing and they aren't prepping and they aren't, you know, so they know there's a sideline pass and now they suddenly part of their transition defense is they go try to take that away. You know, those things aren't being done right now in the NBA. Um, you know, uh, their pick and roll defense last night on Rudy, well, actually just Lou Williams' defense was bad, but that's probably going to be bad in the regular season too. Um, so I, you know, DeAndre Eaton's defense was bad. That was, that'll be bad in the regular season too. Uh, so the Jazz do have the ability to exploit a bad defensive players and take advantage of them because of Quinn's system. Um, the things to be excited about are, you know, Quinn is, Quinn is incredible in the various things he does to get into the, into actions. The actions the Jazz take before the primary action are just next level. Um, and they're even, and they're running some new things where Gobert's pick is off the ball as what I would call a mid pin down. And it's not guardable. I don't know what teams are going to do about it. I'm really curious to watch. I can get into that if you want me to and try to play Telestrator on the radio, which is never great. But it's the Quinn's added some features and those are real. And you know, Quinn's ability to do that are real, so that's where you should be excited. And, heck, they were really, really good offensively last year, so there's no reason to believe they shouldn't be, and they seem to have found a way to play that's better for everyone involved. From the management perspective, how complex is this Rudy Gobert contract decision? You know, on it's one of two levels. Like, the simplest form is the fan point of view that, like, Rudy's great and sign him. Like, we're never <laughs> getting another one. He's great. He alters our team. Everything we've built around offensive and defensively is based on Rudy. His pick setting is incredible. 
on the offensive end. So when people talk about as a defensive only player, they're just professing their ignorance. On the other end, you are in the roster building business and to sign Rudy is probably going to cost you players. And that's hard to swallow. Um, but that's the reality too. And so any t- anything you can do to try to maintain roster flexibility is, is very important. Um, you know, I think Rudy's really special. I've been, you know, I've been pretty outspoken. I think he's a top 10 player in the league. Um, I think he's a game changer. I think defensive possessions matter as much as offensive possessions. Like I've said all this a million times. I'm not changing any part of that. I just think Rudy's awesome. Uh, and the way he impacts the game is just stunning to me on a nightly basis. And then you add in his commitment to getting better and his energy level. And he's improved dramatically every season. Uh, I, I, I'm 100% in the bag for Rudy Gobert as a franchise-changing player, and I hope we get a deal done. I, I'm not ignoring the ignorance of that, but if there's a sacrifice that has to be made, which there's going to be, when you sign Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert to max contracts, there will be sacrifices that have to be made, and so be it. So how much of this can be framed the way Tim Duncan was framed for years? He takes less. Because so much of contract... Negotiations. I think it's garbage. I, I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I but so much of contract negotiations, David, and you've been in them, you know it, is the boss sits across from you and says, You're not worth more. That's gonna lead to hard feelings. That can well, be a problem really easily. But if it's A, he took less to give us more flexibility every time management opens their mouth, whether it's an owner, a GM. Dennis Lindsay's got a different title than GM now. I, old school, I think of him as a GM, but that's not the title. That's Jay-Z's title. But the point is, when any of them speak, it's like, Rudy took less to give us more flexibility, as opposed to, you're just not worth it. Right. So, I think, no, I mean, so let me say there's two things to this. One, some of the reports that out there are not right. I don't know a lot. I actually have stayed out of this pretty greatly. But I do know for a fact that Rudy's not asking for the Supermax. So anyone who says that is just flat out making crap up so that they get a lot of clicks. Okay? So that's not true. Um, I only reason I'm going to make my stand on that is I just think that Rudy, you know, you're damaging Rudy's image, which has already been pretty tarnished over the last seven months. I think I'm someone stands up for what's accurate, right? Like, Rudy earned it on the microphone thing. I got it. But on this one, I don't think he's out of line. I just hate the idea that the best of the best are the ones that have to take the cut. I think it's ridiculous. You know what? Like, I'd go to Joe Ingles and Royce O'Neal and everybody else and be like, you know what, guys, the reason you get, like, Royce, you've had the most open looks of any player in the NBA for the last three years because of Rudy Gobert, so you're going to take $3 million less. Like, that's how it should work. It shouldn't be that, like, you're going to Tim Duncan and Rudy Gobert and saying, take less money. Why? Like, you want to know why Joe Ingles shoots 40% from three? Because Rudy's rolling to the rim. And Joe makes the shot. But, like, Rudy's rolling to the rim. And they got to take two guys there, or Rudy dunks. Like, why do the Jazz get the most open looks of anyone in the league? Because Rudy's the best screen setter and rim roller. So, like, I just hate the idea that we're always looking at our best players, though they're supposed to take laps. I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> Tell me about it. You're living my life. <laughs> right. I mean, why should DJ should be taking a cut because you've been carrying him for 20 years? DJ already I did, mean, and PK he, knows that. He's just playing on the radio right now. Speak the truth, <laughs> DJ. Speak the truth. I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Good times. Uh, <laughs> 
Tell us about this Yogi Ferrell that the Jazz agreed to a deal with uh, last night. Boy, do I have Yogi Ferrell stories. Right, no, okay. no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Tell me more. Uh, I'll text you. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, Yogi Ferrell uh, played at Indiana. Um, was He actually was on a 10-day contract for the Portland, the Dallas Mavericks on an ESPN game and went kind of bananas, if you recall, like I think dropped 30 and kind of became a phenomenon. And that's, I mean, he's better, not just because of that, but that's largely kind of kept him engaged and kept him in the league for a while. Um, he's little, but he's a very good shooter. He's, uh, I think he's predominantly going to be G League for the Jazz. Um, the G League has got a little bit more prowess for big men, but good point guards really make the difference. Mark Taylor has shown a really good understanding of how to build a G League team. as G League general manager of the year last year, and the stars were great. And so, you know, I think that's largely the play, but also the Jazz lack some depth there. Um, and if they had to, they could go get him. But if I, I think he'll end up being I, – I don't know, actually – um, I'm guessing it's a G League play, but maybe not. I mean, we have seemingly have a few, and frankly, I'm super impressed by the kid out of Florida State, Trent Forrest, who the Jazz got as a two-way player, undrafted, like really, really impressed by um, by his just feel for the game and his impact and kind of his just general prowess. Now, he, the reason he get drafted is he shot like 24%. From three, that's certainly problematic, but he must have mammoth hands because he's throwing passes off the dribble with power and speed that in one motion that are really high level. He, I, I like him. I think if he can figure out how to be a decent shooter, he'll be an NBA rotation player. And he's big, 6'4", like 210, 6'7", wingspan. Well, all of this is the future, right? Because his guys play well and are worth more money. And assuming the deal gets done with Rudy, whatever the number is, whether he gets 85%, 90%, 95% or whatever of the, of, uh, you know, the maximum allowable, they're going to need these inexpensive guys. I, I've kind of pegged the number as two. Two of your top eight have to be inexpensive. Is that ballpark right? Yeah, it might, uh, might maybe, be Maybe three? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you're playing with $30 million in two spots, and then I would guess that you have another player or two that's in the 20s, um, you know, right? So you got Boyan at 20, you got Joe at 15 or 18, and you got something else. You probably need Mia One and Elijah Hughes to be two of your rotation players, maybe two of your eight and three of your 10. You're right, DJ. DJ, you're always right. I'm not always right, but in this one I am. You're so good. Oh, stop. (laughs) uh, I already got to deal with PK. I don't need you to. (laughs) PK claimed his spot first. How tiring is it to carry PK every day? No, you're just mixing. You're just stirring the pot now. We all see through you. (laughs) Come on. All right. Uh, any other any uh, any predictions you want to make? I, I'm interested in who's overrated in the West and who's underrated. I'm not buying Phoenix like everybody else is. I just think. Well, first of all, I I mean, just a little bit to how great Rudy Gobert is. I just thought like their whole season is bending on DeAndre Ayton, and I'm just not there. I just don't see it. Um, just the level of detail that you have to be to be that great a big man, and both offensively and defensively. And I just 
You know, and that's to me like that's where Rudy's incredible. Like here's a seven foot one center that is a number one pick of the draft. Like this you're if you're gonna like for people who are like, Oh, trade Rudy's too expensive, like that's your dream case scenario. You go get the number one pick and find a replacement. And then you've got DeAndre Ayton. Like who's great who like he's gonna average twenty and ten. Who impacts winning in my opinion, none. Um you know, so I think that I'm a little slow on them. Um, I do love the Clippers. Uh, they've lost some physicality, and without Morris and Ibaka last night, they've lost more physicality. But I do I do love the Clippers. I think they might have the best team in the West. The Lakers are certainly loaded, but I like that Clipper team a lot. Um, Lou Williams is a problem for them. He was a problem for them last year. I, I think they've got the depth to solve it, but maybe not. I mean, if your three main primary ball-handling guards are Patrick Beverly. Lou Williams and uh, Reggie Jackson. That might be a problem. So maybe I'm a little high on them. Um, I'm curious to watch Denver. Uh, Jokic is awesome. I mean, just truly incredible. Um, but they they feel a little bit like us last year, where we lost Ricky Rubio, Jay Crowder, and Derek Favors. And I thought we got better in a lot of positions, but we collectively lost physicality. And they lost Torrey Craig, Mason Plumley, and Jeremy Grant, and they collectively lost athleticism. And I feel like when you lose a lot of players who have the same kind of thing, that could be a problem. But, frankly, Denver's done an amazing job of drafting and collecting talent, and um, P.J. Dozier will probably be good, and Michael Porter Jr. has the biggest upside of anyone out there, so they might be fine. So those, those would be my quick thoughts. Um, we might be really good. I mean, you know, we can't have been any better in the preseason. We might be really good. Derek was... Derek was so good last night. Um, you know, Joe Ingles is like our sixth best player all of a sudden. Like, it's pretty good. Uh, we're, we, our top eight guys that we're rolling out there and now using the ninth guy as a situational substitution, which is I saw, which is what I think we did last night, and I'll bet we do moving forward. Um, uh, it's pretty remarkable. It's really it's a heck of a, that team's been built pretty nicely. It's, it's a well done job by everyone involved. I don't know who you're identifying as the ninth guy, but I think the ninth guy is really the seventh or eighth guy because you're not going to have everybody all year long. We're seeing positive tests. you got the normal number of sure. NBA injuries, which will probably be even worse because there's going to be so little downtime. 37 games in 71 days. Uh, Quinn's barely going to practice. They're not going to practice, and they're not going to shoot around yeah. for testing purposes. Last, uh, Well, I mean, not always, but shoot-arounds have become uh, – I was talking to a guy with another team yesterday, and he was explaining to me – how shoot-arounds have become difficult because if you're on the road and make, you know, he did point out to me that the NBA is changing protocol, you know, as things go, it's such a, they've done such a great job. So this could change. But um, what he was basically saying is if you're on the road, you go down and get tested. They then take the tests and send them to whatever the testing facility, often at the practice facility is for that team. Not until everybody is negative, can you get to that, can you get on the floor and have shoot-around? So, like, let's just assume that the, the drive time to the arena and the testing process takes 90 minutes. Does that seem fair? Well, like, if you're shooting around at 11, so you'd have to test at, like, 8.30 and then find out at 10 that everyone's negative and then get on the bus and go to shoot Like, you're suddenly, it's becoming, uh, you know, so I think there's going to be a real limit in practice because of the schedule and a real limit in shoot around because of testing. And the fact that the Jazz are a veteran team that's in a system and already knows it could be a tremendous advantage. 
David Locke, we appreciate it as always. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you next week, at which point there'll be a game in the books. Are you guys Wait, aware? Wait, no, 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 no. Next week is Christmas. Never mind. <laughs> are you two aware of how good you are? No. Okay, no, I'll make sure I let you know. Explain it to us. <laughs> you got all the time in the world. Go ahead. DJ, everyone's buddy, conversational, connected, subtly an insider, very relatable, PK with a little edge, a deep dive reporter, willing to say what has to be said. There's nothing better. It's DJ and PK, 6 to 10 every morning, right here on 12A The Zone and 97.5 FM. David Locke, The Zone's promotions director, joins us weekly. Maybe we'll do something different with you, David, because the holidays, the next two Fridays are holidays, and we can't go three weeks without David Locke opinions and oh, insight. yeah. True. Yeah. It is an honor to come on with the show with you. I will come on anytime you want, All as right, long well, as it doesn't impact the powder day. <laughs> right. Okay. That was honest. All right. Thanks, David. See you.